Verse 27, Paul says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now jump over to chapter three, verse 12. Chapter three, verse 12, Paul writes this. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Therefore, let us all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only, this is key, they think only about this life here on earth. But we, Paul said, we believers, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. How many are looking forward to that day when he will take our weak mortal bodies and he will change them into glorious bodies like his own? We are anticipating, we are expecting, we are looking forward to that day. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. And now I appeal to you, to Euduia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. They got called out. <laughs> Did you notice? I'm not planning on calling anybody out today, but notice Paul called out these two individuals. He says, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the living word of God. We thank you that your word is alive, it's powerful, it still speaks to us today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do a work in us that only you can do. We recognize, God, that you are already present in this place today. But now we are asking you to be present in our life in such a way that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, refresh us, renew us. Holy Spirit, may you change and transform our life so that when we leave this place, when we walk out of this room today, we walk out of here different than how we came in because we've encountered the living, powerful word and we've encountered the living presence of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to communicate your word clearly to do so with boldness and passion, 
with clarity, with simplicity. God, help me to rightfully divide the word of truth. God, help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together today. Help us to think not on things here on earth, but help us to have heavenly perspective in all that we do. I ask this and I pray this in the wonderful, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let me begin as we, over the next couple of weeks, actually at the end of July, I'm going to bring this series in Philippians uh, to a close. Um, Next couple of weeks, we're really going to focus our attention on really Paul's final charge to the church as a whole comes underneath this umbrella of rejoicing in the Lord. Certainly as Paul addresses some final matters in his letter to the church in Philippi, I think it's important for us to take just a few moments this morning to kind of remind ourselves or to consider the condition of this church in Philippi. I want to share a few things with you just to kind of paint the the picture for us to help us understand where this church is. What are they wrestling with? Why is Paul even writing this letter in the first place? What is he addressing? And I want to kind of catch us up to speed and remind us of a few things regarding the condition of these believers. First of all, we know that they have been facing various forms of opposition, harassment, and persecution likely because they are Gentile Christians. That means they are Gentile believers in an area where it was expected of them to proclaim Caesar as Lord, but because they were Gentile Christians, because they were saved and converted, because of that, they were declaring Jesus Christ, not Caesar, as Lord. Therefore, that is some of the reason that they are getting pushed back and, and they are being harassed and receiving opposition because they were declaring Christ, not Caesar, as Lord. We also know that this group of believers, the church in Philippi, we, we looked at this last week, they were being tempted to compromise their values and beliefs when it came to salvation. Talked about a group of believers, Jewish Christians. They were called Judaizers. And, and what they were all about was they, they wanted to come into the church and they were trying to add to the requirements of salvation. For them, it was not just the cross, but it was the cross plus circumcision, something else being added to salvation when in reality, we know that scripture teaches otherwise. So this group of Judaizers, they were trying to to tempt these believers to compromise their values, their belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We also know that this church, they were experiencing some internal strife among the believers, which is why we've seen so far in Philippians, Paul is calling the church to be unified. He's not calling them to be in uniformity. He doesn't want them to all look alike, wear the same clothes or, or, or talk the same way or, or share the same favorite colors. He is calling them to be unified in their mission, in their purpose to advance or progress the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul knew that if they were not unified in that mission, if there was strife and, and conflict inside the church, the one place where, where God was, was wanting to to work in and through them, he knew it would be very difficult and very challenging for them to advance the gospel, to carry out this mission. Why? Because if we are, if we are in conflict with one another, what happens? It becomes all about the conflict. It becomes all about self and not about what God is calling us to do uh, in, in carrying out his mission. 
And so there is this call to unity, and we know that there seems to be some internal strife, not as bad as maybe the church in Corinth. Church in Corinth was pretty messed up, and, and Paul begins in, in his letter to the church at Corinth talking about the divisions that are among them, but there does seem to be some form of internal strife or conflict, and Paul does not want it to get out of control. Yet in all of this, Paul actually begins this section of his letter with this very unique call, a call to find joy in the Lord alone. Look at chapter three, verse one. We looked at this last week. Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Talked about this last week. If their joy would have been contingent on their circumstances, then this church would have been experiencing a joy drought. But the call instead was to rejoice in Christ in every circumstance, including the struggle they were having with the Jewish believers who wanted them to add to salvation. We, we declared it in song beautifully again this morning that, that God is good and or God is faithful. He is, Lord, he is Lord alone in both the good times and the bad times. He is worthy of our worship in the blessing and in the pain. And so what we see here, there is this call to rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance, regardless of what we are facing. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I don't know about you, but over the last couple of weeks, Paul's words have really left us with some very deep heart searching. Here's a few of the questions that, that we've had to wrestle with over the last couple of weeks that I've been wrestling with even in my own time, in my devotional time, in my, on my driving, asking some of these questions. First of all, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this question. Am I willing to risk it all, put it all on the line for the sake of advancing the gospel. We are quick to say yes, but then when it actually comes to putting that into action, I think we take a few steps backwards and we begin to evaluate, what does that really mean? Am I really willing to put it all on the line? Am I willing to risk everything for the sake of the gospel? We talked about, remember, the, the carrier of this letter, um, Epaphroditus, he was the one that, that was willing to risk his life in order for the gospel to be advanced. And he is the one that's gonna take this letter to the church and begin to read. We saw the example of Epaphroditus and Timothy, both who were willing to risk it all for the advancement of the gospel. Second question we looked at even last week was this, am I in a place in my life where I can rejoice even in seasons of suffering and hardship? It's easy to rejoice in seasons of victory and blessing, but it's a whole lot harder to rejoice in seasons of suffering and hardship. But the call that Paul has for this church and the call that Paul has for us is that regardless of the season, whether it's a season of victory or suffering, am I in a place where I can still rejoice in the Lord because he is still faithful, he is still good, he is still on the throne, and he is still worthy of our worship. I think if we're honest with ourselves, and I wanna be honest with myself, if we are truly honest, I think we all need some type of heart surgery to get us to these places where we can honestly say, yes, I am willing to risk it all for the sake of the gospel, and yes, I am willing to rejoice in the Lord even in seasons of suffering. We need the Holy Spirit to do a work in our heart to get us to a place where we can honestly answer yes, a full yes, to those questions. And I would encourage you, and I, I'm doing it myself, wrestle with those questions. What does that look like? I think it's hard for us, even here in America, to truly understand 
understand what it looks like to risk everything for the sake of the gospel. It's hard for us to grasp this idea because yes, we might go through some difficult opposition. We might be harassed for our faith, but most often we are not, um, we're not facing life or death when it comes to the advancement of the gospel. And so I would encourage you to begin to wrestle with that and, and really pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what does it look like for me to risk everything for the sake of the gospel? What does that mean for me in my life, for the life of my family? And what does it look like for me to truly rejoice in every circumstance in both victory and in suffering? It's something I'm wrestling with and I would encourage you to do the same. Now with rejoicing in the Lord in the backdrop, Paul is now calling the church to another action. And it is this, to persevere in this race in order to receive a prize at the finish line. Our focus today will be on these two questions. What is this prize that Paul is referring to? And secondly, how are we going to receive this prize? I want to begin by wrestling with this first question pretty quickly this morning. What is the prize that Paul speaks of in this race here in Philippians chapter 3? Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let me say a few things about this prize that he's referring to. Number one, it is not an earthly crown. It's not a badge. It's not a medal or some form of award that we receive here on earth. It's not, it's not a moment where we're all going to walk before the stage and I'm going to put you know, a, a crown on your head or put a medal around your neck. Certainly, we enjoy those types of, of awards, but that's not what Paul is referring to here. It is some Something though, listen, it is something that is attainable. It is within our reach, but it is not yet realized for those of us here in this room today. How do we know that? Because Paul says things like, I press on to reach or to attain this heavenly prize or to reach the end of the race. So we know from Paul's words, it is certainly attainable. We can reach it, but it is something that we have not yet fully realized. We're still in the race. We've not gotten to uh, uh, the finish line just yet. We're still running the race and he is calling the church in Philippi and he's calling us believers to run the race with endurance and perseverance. We also know that this prize, it is something of great spiritual and eternal value. It is referred to as a heavenly prize. It has significant spiritual value to it. It's actually referring to something in the eschaton. The eschaton oftentimes is referring to end times. It is a reference to the end of the race. Paul says, I, I, I run this race. I press on to reach the finish line. We've not yet got to the place where we have reached the end of the race. But it is also connected to Paul's desire. Remember in chapter 3, verse 11, listen to what Paul says in verse 11. He says this, or verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Why? So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So this prize, it has incredible, eternal, spiritual value. It is a heavenly reward that we will receive, but we are still in the race. We have not yet reached the finish line. This prize, it is something every believer should desperately crave. If we love Jesus, if we're serving him faithfully, this is a prize that you and I, we should crave, we should long for, we should hunger for, we should desire in our hearts. 
This is why Paul uses the the running metaphor here in Philippians chapter three. He describes it as an intense pursuit. He says again, I press on. I, I pursue with my whole heart to reach the end of this race so that I can receive this reward, this heavenly prize that Christ Jesus has for me. Folks, it is a prize. It is a reward that you and I, we should want. We should long for we should crave and desire. It's a special reward that believers gain when we reach the end of the race. When we cross that finish line, it is a very unique reward that we get. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die or to get to the end of the finish line, Paul says what? He says, is gain. And so this prize that, that Paul is speaking of, the prize that you and I are, are, are longing to obtain when we reach the end of the finish line is something that you and I should crave and long for. It's a special reward that we gain when we cross that finish line. Let me explain it this way. This prize is essentially the final realization of a believer's lifelong passion. And our passion is this should be this, to know Christ fully. So this reward or this prize that Paul speaks of, it is the final realization of our lifelong passion, and that is to know Christ fully. Well, what do, what do I mean by that? Let me just explain that in a few different ways. First of all, know that we are now looking through a glass dimly. You and I, we, we don't see the whole picture. It's foggy. Uh, scripture talks about looking through a glass dimly, but then there will be a day when we will see him fully. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says this, for now we see in a mere dimly, but then face to face. That then is speaking of the, the eschaton. There are the end days or when we cross that finish line, then we will see him face to face. Paul says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And as I was preparing this message and going over this message, it was about the same time that my grandpa breathed his last breath. And what a beautiful picture for me and even our family to begin to see that, that my grandpa just a few days ago was still looking through a glass dimly, but now he sees fully. This realization that he had been longing for, no longer does he look through a glass dimly. No longer is it foggy. No longer is the understanding imperfect. But now he sees Jesus face to face. And because of that, he has received the prize. He has crossed the finish line. And folks, that is the, that is the reality. That is the hope that every believer looks forward to. That day when we cross the finish line, no longer will we see through a glass dimly. No longer will things not fully make sense, but we will see Jesus for who he is. We will see him fully and, and, and our desire and our passion to know him fully will come to reality in that moment. We're looking through a glass dimly, but then we will see him fully. Number two, now we suffer with Christ, but then that day we will be glorified with him. When we cross the finish line, now we are suffering. The, the race that you and I are running, the race that Paul was running, the race that the church in Philippi was running is a race that was marked with suffering. 
We suffer now with Christ, but then when we cross that finish line, we will be glorified with him. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. He says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be what? Glorified with him. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter four, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the other things or the things that are unseen are what? They are eternal. We look through a glass dimly, we suffer now, but then we shall be glorified with him. Paul noted that he had not yet achieved this perfection, this completeness, but he was still going to keep pressing on, keep pursuing, keep persevering to realize this lifelong passion. What did he say in chapter three, verse 10? I wanna know him and the power of his resurrection. I wanna share in the sufferings of his fellowship. And so Paul's lifelong passion was to know Christ, not just to have intellectual knowledge. We talked about this last week, not just to to be aware of who God is, but to experience him, to have a relationship with him and the fullness of that experience, the fullness of that relationship with Jesus Christ will come true when we see him face to face, the moment that we cross that finish line is the moment that we get to experience the fullness of that relationship. That's what Paul was longing for. Chapter three, verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And finally, number four, in regards to what is this prize that he speaks of, this will finally be realized at the return of Christ. Philippians 3 verses 20 through 21, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Why? Because he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. It will be finally realized at the return of Christ. Folks, this prize, it is worth our pursuit. And that's why Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi where there was internal strife, where they were facing opposition, where there was hardship, where there was a, a attempts to, to compromise their values and their beliefs. And he's saying, keep pressing on, keep pursuing, keep reaching for that prize. I know the race now that you're running, Paul is saying, is, is difficult. It, it's marked with suffering. It's marked with seasons of pain, but keep pressing on because when you cross the finish line, folks, it is incredibly worth it because the reward that you will receive is a reward that will not compare to anything that we gain or have here on earth. It is, it is an eternal prize that we will receive. The relationship that we long for with Christ, though it is incomplete now, it will we will experience that full reality when we see him face to face. That's why he says, I press on. I keep pursuing. I'm running this race with perseverance because I know in the end, what I will receive will be incredibly worth my pursuits. So the question is, is it worth our pursuit? I hope it is. Second question, and really for the remainder of our time this morning, I wanna talk about this. How then do we receive this prize that Paul speaks of? talks about a prize that we're going to receive at the end of the race. How do we get to a place where we can receive this eternal reward? A few things that I want to share with you from the text. First of all, we need to focus on the most important things and not be distracted by lesser things. 
Listen to what he says again, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Listen to these words. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But listen, look at what he says. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. We are to focus on the most important thing and not be distracted by the lesser things. Let me kind of paint the picture for you. Picture that Paul paints here is of a runner who is not distracted by other things. I don't know if any of you have ever run in a race before. I just ran in a race a few weeks ago, the four for the fourth on July 4th, um, obviously. And, uh, and, and let me just say this at the outset. I've never been at the front of a race. Um, never, <laughs> never, unless I'm the only one running, I've never been at the front uh, of a race. Most of the time, I'm somewhere in the middle of the pack. But the picture that Paul is painting here is a runner who is in the front. He is leading the pack and he's not looking behind him wondering where are my competitors at or how far of a distance is there between me and, and, and the person in second place. He's not concerned about the people behind him. He's not concerned about what kind of distance he has. Instead, it says he, he forgets what is behind and he looks ahead to one thing, one goal, and that is the finish line. And so this is the picture that he paints. It's a runner who is in the lead and he has his eyes and his mind and his heart set on what is in front of him. And that is the most important thing. He's not getting distracted by the lesser things behind him. He's not concerned about, you know, the person that's, you know, two feet or 10 feet or 20 yards or two miles behind him. He's not concerned about all of the other obstacles around him. His mind and his heart and his life is focused on one thing and it's the goal in front of him getting to the finish line, finishing the race so that he can hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So this has been Paul's focus all throughout this letter. We've seen several places where Paul even mentions that his own spiritual and religious pedigree, it is garbage compared to the reality of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Paul says this, he says, I focus on this one thing and I forget the past. He knows and notes that, that legalistic observance of the law would not make one complete in Christ. His social and his spiritual status, the fact that he was one of the best Pharisees, Paul was saying earlier in chapter three, that's not gonna get me, uh, that's not gonna get me to the finish line. That's not gonna make me complete in Christ. Instead, I focus on the one goal, finishing the race, not getting distracted by the lesser things. Think if we're honest, we are a distracted people. Not just talking about you in the room, talking about humanity in general. We are typically speaking a, a distracted people. And oftentimes we allow the lesser things in life to become our primary focus. The lesser things, let me, hear me out. The lesser things are not necessarily evil things, but they are lesser because they don't contribute to the goal of knowing Christ. The lesser things may not be bad things in our life, but, but if they distract us from the most important thing, then they become a hindrance and an obstacle to us finishing the race and finishing it well. 
What are some of the common lesser things that maybe we wrestle with? Maybe it's job promotions, excelling at sports or other activities. Maybe it's the worries of our present life or even the accumulation of wealth or resources. Whatever it may be, those things may not be bad things or evil things, but if they become our focus instead of our pursuits of Christ, then we've allowed the lesser things to become a distraction, a hindrance to our walk with Christ and finishing the race and finishing it well. Keep in mind, we need to be at the front of the pack. We cannot turn around and be concerned about or look at what's going on behind us. We need to keep our eyes set on the goal, on the focus of what Christ has called us to pursue. You know, Jesus in scripture, there is a place, and I know there's a lot of controversy maybe surrounding what Jesus said, but he talks about, there's a passage where he says that you are to hate your father's and your mothers, and your wife, and your children, and your brothers, and your sisters. And if you read it at face value, you're like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Like, we aren't to hate anybody, but he's telling us to hate the people that we love. So, so what, and, and if you don't study it, and if you don't unpack it, then you walk away and you think, well, Jesus called us to hate our family, so that's what I'm gonna do. But that's not what he's calling them to do. Listen, by, by hating wife and children and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, what Jesus is really calling his disciples to do is to love them less so that the most important thing, loving Christ, would be their focus. And so it's not a call to hate your family. It's not a call to, to hate your wife or your, or your husband or your brothers or your sisters or anything like that. He's just simply calling them to make certain that their priorities are in place. Our pursuit should be that of Christ. We are to love him and not allow the lesser things, again, they may not be evil things, but not allow the lesser things to become a distraction. We are called to persevere, to stay focused, and to keep our eyes on the heavenly prize in front of us. So this is the question I have for us. Am I distracted by the lesser things or am I focused on the greater thing? And that is our pursuit of Jesus Christ. Where are you? Are you distracted by the lesser things or are you so set on the goal, focused on the one most important thing and that is our pursuit of Jesus Christ? Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Again, that doesn't mean we ignore everything else, but what is, what is or where is our priority? Where is our focus? Focus needs to be on the greater thing. It needs to be focused on the prize, on the goal that is in front of us. And we need to pursue it with all of our heart. We need to persevere, run the race so that when we finish, when we cross that finish line, we hear the words, well done, that good and faithful servant. We receive that eternal reward and we can spend eternity in God's presence. Number two, how do we receive this prize? I need to give these last few to you quickly. We need to follow the godly examples of other men and women in front of us, those who have gone before us. Listen to what he says, chapter three, verses seven, 15 through 17. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we already have made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Let me just say what Paul's stating here. Paul here is encouraging the believers to pattern their lives after him. Paul, remember, he forsook 
the lesser things for the greater thing. He said, my status, my social status, my religious status, all of that is garbage compared to the greatest thing, and that is knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And so Paul's saying, follow my, follow my example. I forsook the things that were lesser that distracted me and instead gave my attention to the most important thing. And Paul is just simply say, follow my example. The author of Hebrews does the same. He encourages us to do what? In the midst of opposition and in, in the midst of adversity, the writer of Hebrews will say, remain steadfast and faithful. And how, we, how do we do that? We have a great cloud of witnesses, people that have gone before us that we can look to, that we can mimic, the most important one being Jesus. Christ who endured the cross. And so we are, to, we are to run to them. We are to look to them. And they are the ones that can help encourage us to remain steadfast and faithful. And then let me flip it just a little bit and ask this question. Who are the godly men and women in your life who lead their lives with integrity that serve as faithful examples? Who are those people for you? Who, have, who are the people that have gone before you that you look up to, that you want to mimic, that lived their lives with godly integrity, that had their eyes focused on the prize in front of them, that were not distracted by the lesser things? And I would encourage you to mimic their example, the life that they lived in front of you. It's never too late, but let me flip it back and say this. It's never too late, though, to be that example for your kids, for your workplace, or even for our own community. Not only should we look unto others, but let's be some of those men, let's be some of those women who live our lives with godly integrity that people can look up to and they can see Christ in us and working through us. It's never too late to be that example. Number three, we need to free ourselves. How do we receive this prize? We need to free ourselves from an earthly mindset and we need to work toward having a heavenly perspective. He says in chapter three, verse 18 through 21, I've told you often before I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think about this life here on earth, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. So what Paul's saying here is he notes the, the contrast between those who live for the present life only versus those who understand that our citizenship ultimately resides in heaven. And, and, and here's the reality earthly thinking, worldly thinking will not allow you and I to navigate the struggles and the hardships and the opposition and the suffering that we are experiencing now. Earthly thinking will, will lead us to a place where we can go no further. So we need to have minds that are, that are thinking, uh, that, that, that know we are of heavenly citizenship so that we can think of things in heaven. Heavenly thinking allows us to rejoice even in our suffering because one day we will share in Christ's glory. Jesus is king and his kingdom is unshakable. So let's have a heavenly perspective. And number four, finally, how do we receive this prize? We need to find opportunities to be reconciled to one another. We move into chapter four, verses one through three. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you, long to see you. You are my joy, the crown, and I receive my work. I appeal to you, Euduia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, there is no certainty. Um, no certainty is given regarding the specifics of their disagreement here in chapter four, but it's somehow related to the advancement of the gospel. 
Somehow their disagreement, their strife is making it difficult for them to be effective at allowing the gospel to do what the gospel is called to do. So the call remains the same. Reconciliation among brothers and sisters in Christ, especially among leaders, is necessary so the gospel can continue to progress and do its transforming work. We need to take the call to be reconciled to one another seriously because harboring bitterness, holding grudges, withholding forgiveness can damage our gospel witness. Paul knew that, he understood that. That's why he called these two ladies out in his letter because he wanted to make sure that they would be reconciled to one another because he wanted them to be effective at doing what he had called them to do, to advance and progress the gospel. He wanted to make certain that they dealt with whatever issue, whatever strife they were wrestling with. And if they could be reconciled to one another, then they could be more effective at spreading the good news. We and others come closer to the prize when reconciliation with God first and then with others is a matter of focus. So I end with this question. How am I running the race in front of me? How am I running the race in front of me? Am I distracted by the lesser things or am I focused on the greatest thing? Is there strife? Is there bitterness and unforgiveness and I need to seek reconciliation? How am I running the race in front of me? Worship team, if you want to come. How am I running the race in front of me? Am I running it in such a way to receive the prize in the end? Am I running the race with perseverance? And with joy, listen to this story. By 7 p.m. on October 20th, 1968, the Mexico City Olympic Stadium, it was beginning to darken and it had cooled down as well. The last of the Olympic marathon runners were being assisted away to first aid stations. Over an hour earlier, Mama Waldi of Ethiopia had charged across the finish line winning the 26-mile, 385-yard race, looking as strong and as vigorous as when he started. As the last few thousand spectators began preparing to leave, they heard police sirens and whistles through the gate entering the stadium. The attention turned to that gate. A solo figure wearing the colors of Tanzania came limping into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Akwari, and he was the last man to finish the marathon in 1968. His leg was bandaged, was bloody. He had taken a bad fall earlier in the race, and now it was all he could do to limp his way around the track. The crowd stood and they applauded as he completed that last lap. When he finally crossed the finish line, one man dared ask the question all were wondering, you are badly injured. Why didn't you quit and just give up. Nakwari, with quiet dignity, said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. The country sent me to finish. So it is with God. God didn't just send us here to start this race. He didn't just send us here to begin a noble task or a noble relationship. He sent us to both start and finish the race. The race that you and I are running is a race that is marked by suffering. 
my hardship, opposition, difficulty. There are moments of victory. There are seasons of joy. But there are moments of pain. And there are moments and seasons of challenge. But he has not called us to just start and give up. Paul is writing to this church. They're facing opposition. There's internal strife. And Paul cares about the eternal souls of his church that he's planted. And he wants to one day see them gathered around the throne of God, worshiping people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So he is pleading with the church in Philippi. Don't give up. They're tempting you to compromise. Don't compromise. They, they, they want you to give in to the suffering. They want you to, to declare Caesar as Lord. Do not do that. Endure. Press on. Persevere. So that when you do cross the finish line, when you do finish the race, you hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And you receive your eternal reward. No matter how hard the race is now, if we can persevere, we can keep our eyes on the prize in front of us and not become distracted by the lesser things in life. If we can be reconciled to one another, then one day we will receive that eternal reward. We will no longer see through a glass dimly, but we will see him face to face in the longing of our hearts to know Christ fully will no longer just be a distant longing but it will become a present reality folks that is absolutely a prize a reward that is worth our pursuit how are we running the race how are we running the race would you stand